Hi, my name is Jovi. My name is Charlie. And you're listening to Bed Crime, crime Stories. Stories. Why do we why are we so bad at that? It's a weekly true crime <laughs> podcast where we pour ourselves a drink and we take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Hi yes. everybody. <laughs> hello, hello. I think Hi. we're so so bad at it because this is a Zoom episode. This is a Zoom episode. Actually, the next couple of um episodes you're gonna be hearing from the us are Zoom episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we kind of wanted to test out the medium to make sure that it works okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just in case there's any issues or, oh, I don't know, either one of us come down with COVID, um, we can still record. <laughs> and guess what, guys? Charlie has come down with COVID. <laughs> Boo. Yeah. So I am not drinking wine tonight. I am drinking hot tea. I have an industrial size, actually, it's a value size uh, <laughs> bag of cough drops sitting next to me. Perfect. Um, and my Kleenex, and I am ready to record. So my voice is going to be super scratchy, probably for the next couple of episodes that you guys are listening to. But we are on Zoom, so if the audio sounds a little different, yes. it's either my COVID voice <laughs> <laughs> or it's the fact that we're on Zoom. And obviously, because we are on Zoom, we're having like, we have like some timing things yes. that we're going to have to get used to. So, correct. So just, just bear with us on this yes. journey yeah. and enjoy it. Enjoy it with us. We're trying out the new technology, my friends. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to get with the times. Apparently this is a thing to do for podcasters all around the world. So you know what? We're joining in on that fad and we're like, you know what? Let's do this. We're let's, doing it. Let's, let's do it. We're jumping in with both feet first. Um, so I have to tell you guys about um, the Christmas present that I got that I'm super Ooh, excited about yeah. that I have yet to share with you guys. It's now February, <laughs> <laughs> but I have to share this with you guys because I was stalling, not telling you. So now I'm going to tell you, I was get okay. I'm going to take you back <laughs> way back to when we did the episode about the Menendez brothers. Okay. And you guys got to learn about my fascination and obsession with that whole case and, and all that stuff. And at the end of that episode, I told you guys about a baseball card, no basketball card for a basketball player that you can see the Menendez brothers sitting courtside at this basketball game. Well, my friend gave me the basketball card it's sitting right here next to me i am so excited it is a mark jackson nba hoops card he was a knicks player um and there they are they're right there they're like directly to the left of his butt (laughs) the menendez brothers just just having a good time and now i will say this because i was there when charlie opened the the said card and I actually knew what she was getting before Christmas um because our mutual friend was like dude you will never guess what I got Charlie and I was like what and she told me and I was like oh my god it was like (laughs) perfect perfect gift but when Charlie opened it I honestly thought she wasn't going to do anything the rest of the night but sit there and stare at her card and possibly lick it because it is in like (laughs) 
a protective covering so <laughs> yeah it was it was actually very amusing she was very very excited yeah I opened it up and like it was funny because of course opening it I'm like what is this what is this thing right because it's like this awkward shape you know mm-hmm. this like flat but rectangular thing <laughs> and I just sat there my jaw hung open and I couldn't say anything I just sat there with my mouth open staring at it like it's so beautiful <laughs> you actually said that a couple of times too. I think I might have yeah, yes. yeah yeah oh no you did there is no thinking you oh, really did <laughs> I was so excited and I posted it on uh my personal social media and um but I didn't like hint why it was special I was just like if you know, you know, you know, yep, whatever. Yep. And uh, a friend of mine commented, he's like, I see them. I'm like, yeah, see, that's why we're friends. Hi, <laughs> <why> we're friends. <laughs> I think you should um for the Instagram post for this episode, I think you should uh you should show it. Yeah. 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 So they could see it we'll... in like the flesh. In the, I mean... in the in the plastic. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll 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 go with that. I love it. So as you guys may remember, if you listened to the episode last week, um, we did put out an announcement at the beginning of the episode that um, Nikki has left bad crime stories. So you're stuck with Jovi and I. Um, Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And part of that, we're going to be adding in some new segments and working on some stuff for you guys. So you may hear some new things, um, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, we're still just going to be sitting around telling ghost stories. boogeyman stories i guess but um, not oops. the american boogeyman oh i because... was just gonna say oh <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth okay oh rest in peace meatloaf um <laughs> uh american boogeyman hold that thought for just a second <laughs> okay so um but yes we'll be telling stories um and of course offering our opinions no mm-hmm. matter how uh uneducated they might be that's mm-hmm. that's what we like to do mm-hmm. and uh we're excited to continue this journey with you guys so speaking of american boogeyman <laughs> <laughs> a couple of weeks ago on the shonda Shearer episode i believe it was jovi and i were telling you guys about that absolutely abhorrent terrible <laughs> m- <laughs> movie with chad michael murray as ted bundy the american boogeyman <laughs> movie <laughs> there's another one what not ted bundy this time it's called american boogie woman <laughs> i'm and sorry it's the, what <laughs> it's the story of eileen warnos they now, couldn't come up with a better title yeah well i guess it's like the american boogie person series i don't oh know anyway it's so bad okay and i will tell you American Boogie Woman makes American Boogie Man look like Oscar worthy. Stop it. I swear. So is it the same people? Same well, not the same like actors, no, no. but it's the same production company, That's same director, the whole shebang. Yeah. Oh my god. Why? So yeah. Why? So the reason why this got pointed out to me, I didn't know that this was a thing. My boyfriend and I are currently obsessed with Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Love Cobra Kai. It is such a good, stupid show. Anyway. The, one of the girls who's in Cobra Kai, she plays the character Tori on Cobra Kai. Her real name is Peyton List. And she plays a young Eileen Wuornos in this movie. Now, if you know who Peyton List is, she is this beautiful young woman. And she's playing Eileen Wuornos. Makes no sense. Zero sense. And basically what it's supposed to be is Eileen's life in like her early 20s. Apparently she like married some 
70 something year old widower before she became a criminal okay or like a murderer i have no mm-hmm. dude i have no idea but it was be- i tried to watch it the other day it's only an hour and a half long i got through 45 minutes and i just started talking to the television watching it by myself going <laughs> this is the worst thing i've ever watched in my <laughs> entire life i had to shut it off i kept pausing it to see like are we going to move past this storyline no the entire story is about her marriage to this old guy i uh, i don't understand it makes no sense makes no sense these people need to stop making movies and i mean their casting is so bad it makes no sense unreal zero sense less than zero sense unreal unreal Unreal. but yeah yeah. so and i have a feeling that one of these segments that we're gonna test the waters with is movie reviews we might just have to start watching like bad true crime movies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. I think that that'd be, be a lot of fun. And I'm sure our listeners would appreciate it too. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, with all that out of the way, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump into tonight's bed crime story. Yes. I'm going to kick it over to Jovi. Jovi's telling us a story tonight. So Jovi, take it away. Woo-hoo. Okay. So um, tonight, I am going to be doing the disappearance, disappearance, <laughs> the disappearance. Is that French? <laughs> Apparently today yeah. I am French. Uh, that was horrible. I am so that was sorry. That was <laughs> the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Um, I figured it would be thematic with Charlie's episode from a couple of weeks ago as she did the um, Adam Walsh story. Um, as you know, Adam Walsh started the um, Code Adam and his dad did America's Most Wanted. Mm-hmm. Johnny Gosh was one of the first and most popular of the milk carton kits. So it's, you know, a big, a big moment in kidnapping history <laughs> or disappearance history. Um, yeah. You, yeah. Guys, you guys get Just- them true crime history in general i would say yeah that works too that works too um i just want to start this with a disclaimer um when i decided to do this story i did not realize how in depth it actually goes um so this story is basically going to be the cliff notes version um it gets intense and as i was researching i was just like holy shit like this story could go on for more than one episode that is for sure um but my sources for today are actually my favorite murder episode 200 georgia actually did this story so thanks georgia i'm also using medium.com aetv.com des moines register.com and owlcation.com that's like an owl going on vacation.com. So owl packing his little owl bags. <laughs> oh, you can see him with his little his little hat and his yeah. glasses and just owls. I mean, I guess owls wouldn't need glasses because they have like perfect vision, right? Well, I don't well, I mean, wouldn't they need like goggles or sunglasses so the air doesn't get in their eyes? That is why. true. That is that is true. To go we'll, on we'll owl vacation. Yes, we'll go with um, how about tinted goggles? Love that it. Way they're dual purpose. <laughs> I am I am feeling that fantasy. I am there. Awesome. That is yeah. 
awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on September 5th, 1982, 12-year-old Johnny Gosh left his house in the in the suburb of West Des Moines, Iowa, with a canvas delivery bag, red wagon, and his dog Gretchen shortly after 5:45 a.m. to deliver Sunday editions of the Des Moines Register. Around 6 a.m., Johnny arrived at a street corner where a delivery van dropped off bundles of newspapers, and he and another paperboy began to sort and fold them and get them prepared to be uh, delivered. Mm-hmm. After giving directions to a passing motorist, the boys separated on their own perspective routes. They went their own way. Minutes later, though, the boy spotted Johnny just a block away talking to a man, but he couldn't tell Um in the pre-dawn dimness because again this was before 6 a.m the sun was barely up um he couldn't tell if it was the same man who asked for directions or just somebody completely completely different Mm -hmm. um because of the fact that neither john johnny nor his dog appeared to be distressed the boy just went about his day continued on his route he figured johnny knew this person or it was just like a okay whatever yeah the only unusual aspect of that morning was the fact that johnny's father didn't accompany his son on his paper route like he normally did um the previous night johnny had asked if he could do his route on his own Uh, Mm. his mom said no however it is kind of unclear as to why johnny made it out of the house without his dad the next morning um there's nothing that states how that happened. Did he sneak out before his dad woke up? Right. Who knows? Either way, he left the house alone with Gretchen. Interesting. I'm curious if, like, dad gave sneak permission. Like, you know, mom is babying you. You're a man. Just bring the dog. You'll be fine. Like, that type of a thing. Um but I'm guessing dad probably never came forward and admitted that. So, yeah, I was, I was actually thinking something very like pretty much that, but I don't think I would have brought myself to come forward and saying that either. Yeah, no, I don't think I would have either. Nope, nope, nope. That's that's a little secret. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, By 7 a.m., perturbed neighbors started calling Gosh home to complain that they haven't received their newspapers. At first, Johnny's parents thought that maybe their son had overslept, so they went and checked his room. He wasn't there. John Sr. went out to find his son and found the boy's abandoned wagon full of undelivered newspapers about two blocks away from his home. Now, remember, most kidnappings occur within five blocks i think of someone's home so this was super close the rubber band i think i think i feel like there has to be some sort of like feeling of safety when you're that close to your house that you maybe let your guard down a little bit more like i know when i'm super tired and i've driven a long distance once i get to like that two mile mark around my house i feel myself like relax like all right yeah. i'm almost home i'm fine blah, blah, blah. and like there's still a lot of shit can happen in those last two miles you know oh, yeah absolutely but so. i completely agree it's like yeah. oh my house is right there cool I- i'm yeah. good i'm golden the rubber bands that johnny had used to hold the newspapers together were left undisturbed um mm-hmm. Gretchen, meanwhile, had returned home, returned 
home alone. So everything that was in that red wagon was pretty much all still there. Yeah. So it couldn't have been much longer after he had started his route that he had disappeared. Poor baby. Yeah. To the average, how old was he again? Uh, he was 12. Poor kid. All right, go ahead. To the average observer, it appeared that Johnny had just walked away. There were no outward signs of a crime, and the police used this fact to dismiss important details, like witness statements, that most certainly indicated that a crime had been committed. Yeah. By all That's accounts, awful. it is. It absolutely is. By all accounts, Johnny wasn't the type of kid to run off and leave his dogs and his deliveries behind. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure kids aren't going to be out playing about on a Sunday morning at quarter to six in the morning. No. Like, there would be no reason for him to take off and do whatever around the neighborhood. Right. And obviously the fact that all of those people that he normally delivered to were fully aware of the fact that their paper hadn't shown up yet just Mm -hmm. goes to prove how reliable he was Mm -hmm. that like you expect those papers to be there because Johnny's going to get there on time. Right. Um, So I think that's just like a testament to his reliability as a child. So, I mean, if that was, if that was me, uh, all of my red flags would be raised at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. John Sr. and Noreen knew immediately that something was wrong. John Sr. came home and told his wife that their son was nowhere to be found, and Noreen called the police. In 1982, many law enforcement agencies around the U.S. still observed a 24- to 72-hour mandatory waiting period before filing a Mrs. Persons report, even for a minor, and often treating often treated missing adolescent cases as runaways. Yeah. Guys, case is no exception. I hate that, by the by. Yeah. That, well, that whole waiting period and automatically assuming that they're runaways. Like, come on. Correct. And my whole thing is, is like, knowing now what we know, <laughs> <laughs> obviously we know the first 48 are the most important, right? Mm-hmm. But then even on top of that, like looking at the statistics, how many times does it turn out that it is a runaway situation? And how many times does it turn uh, turn out that it was a abduction situation? Correct. And I think I've mentioned, I think we've talked about this already on, um, on the show, but like, even if the kid is a runaway, that's still a 12 year old child that's out there on their own. And obviously in some sort of distress, Mm -hmm. don't you still want to find him? (laughs) I mean, I would hope so. Yeah. Like, like you said, he's a 12 year old kid, yeah. not even a teenager. Right. And while, yes, it's still sad when adults go missing, but like, I feel like everything's a little heightened when they're younger, when they're children. You would um, suspect. Yeah. Right. Correct. It's frustrating. It's just yeah. frustrating. Agreed. According to Noreen, officers from the West Des Moines Police Department didn't arrive until some 45 minutes later. Okay. Really? That's so aggravating. 45 minutes. That's That's, frustrating. um, Like all I could picture in my head is the um, officers drawing straws and none of them wanting to do it because it's probably just another runaway. It's a waste of time. It's more paperwork for no reason. Blah, 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 blah. 
I, um, again, <laughs> disclaimer, that is just in my imagination. I'm not saying that's what happened. Right, right. <laughs> so don't at me, bro. Just, yeah. Just don't but when me. it takes that long, like when it takes that long, you can't imagine it was a priority situation. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And it should have been. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. <sighs> the police did check the nearby woods but were still unwilling to consider the possibility of child abduction so the search was a lazy one at best when locals tried to help police stimmied stim stymied that's it police deterred their efforts (laughs) approximately 20 volunteers gathered at the local park to help search for johnny According to Noreen, they were encountered by Orville Cooney, the alcoholic police chief who would later leave the department in disgrace. He drunkenly stood atop a picnic table and shouted through a megaphone that the searchers should go home because Johnny was, and I quote, just a damn runaway. That's cute. That is a good look, my friend. Right? This man needs to be pushed off a cliff. Um, Wow. When the Goshes proposed placing missing child posters of Johnny in the Hall of Law in 1983, they were given a firm no. Noreen stated, we approached them to ask if we could bring out a quantity of missing posters, hoping someone might remember something and call with info. They refused, saying it would be a downer for fairgoers. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're just going to pretend it didn't happen. Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. Because that's um, better. It, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <sighs> this town, um, from what I was reading, they are, they have their um, yearly county fair, which mm-hmm. I'm sure everywhere has their own version of it. I know we do. Mm-hmm. Um. But I mean, to say that it would be a downer for fairgoers, it's just, that's, that's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Agreed. Like they're more interested in getting income from these fairgoers than being like, Hey, one of our own is missing. Correct. Let's find him. Correct. Makes no goddamn sense. It does make no goddamn sense. (laughs) When the Goshes spoke to their neighbors, it became clear to them that Johnny had been kidnapped. Multiple people reported seeing a man in a blue Ford Fairmount talking to Johnny. One neighbor, a retired lawyer named John Rossi, said he saw Johnny giving directions to the man in the car. When Johnny asked Rossi if he could help the man with directions, the driver made a speedy U-turn and tore out of the neighborhood, blowing through a stop sign in the process. That's so, a little suspicious. Just a little bit. Red yeah. flag. It's a waving. So obviously this person in the car was like, nope, I don't want to kidnap you. I want to kidnap the kid. Right. John Rossi later underwent hypnosis to remember more details about the man, but the results from um, him, from him going into hypnosis was never made public. So we have no Mm. idea what the outcome was on that. Yeah. As the days and weeks went by, Noreen realized she wasn't going to get the help she needed from local authorities or the FBI. She contacted local and national media to cover the story, which was shown nationwide on many television stations across the country. She contacted a private investigator who followed up on leads that were never pursued by law enforcement. What she learned horrified her. Johnny was kidnapped for the sole purpose of use in a global pedophile and pornography ring. Lovely. Yeah. He was not killed. 
he was being kept alive and subjected to trauma and torture of a satanic slash sexual nature to beat down his self-consciousness to make him vulnerable for brainwashing why so he could become a quote-unquote slave to the very cult that abducted him lovely i uh, i i don't i mean i don't understand a lot of things about true (laughs) crime like like like, let's be real however the whole pedophile and pornography ring thing yeah what the fuck i don't know much but i know it's (laughs) fucked up (laughs) that's if aaron neville was one of our special guests for the evening and probably 90 percent of the people listening to us right now are way too young to know who aaron neville is or what i just did yeah (laughs) that makes me sad oh god it's funny i am not that old (laughs) i was gonna say something oh i was gonna say something not just make fun of and not just imitate aaron neville yeah um that whole like pedophile pornography ring thing that you're mentioning there Mm -hmm. there is a story that um am i frozen yes yes i was gonna say because i'm frozen on my but you can hear me i can hear you fine because i'm like (laughs) i look like i'm waving my hands in the air just like i don't care yes yes it's happening right now anyway um there's a story that i probably will want to do eventually it's Mm -hmm. like the something credit union story or something like that but it's about these like super rich people that basically own an island somewhere and like kidnap all of these boys bring them to the island and it's like this sex camp for rich pedophiles and they take private planes up to this island and like take advantage of all of these kidnapped little boys i i have no words yeah. i have absolutely no words for that yeah it it's disgusting and it makes me lose a lot of faith in the human race to be completely honest with you i agree like what happened who hurt you (laughs) who hurt you about six months after johnny's kidnapping a woman was approached by a young boy in the parking lot of a convenience store in oklahoma and he was screaming i'm johnny gosh i've been kidnapped he was immediately accosted by two men who grabbed him and were never seen again over the next few years, other, ef- other evidence surfaced. A dollar bill was turned over to the Goshes with the following message. I am alive, Johnny Gosh. Noreen confirmed that it was Johnny's handwriting. Another clue surfaced in Denver, Colorado. Johnny Gosh was here, was found written on the wall in red nail polish in the restroom of a public eatery. Noreen huh. knew in her heart that her son was still alive. She would never give up, give up on her fight to reveal the hushed truth about his abduction. Noreen. You think all of that was real? I, yes. And no, I yeah. want, I think, I think my problem is, is I want to believe that just like real. the X-Files. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> um, I do like when I want to, especially want to believe that I'm Johnny gosh, I've been kidnapped. Um, Cause that just proves that, he's alive and you know he's breathing but at the same time because this is now a nationwide story who knows if this woman made it up to be put her name out there to be like haha i i witnessed johnny gosh i'm important you know what i mean right 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 like she was doing it for the wrong reasons correct 
Correct. Uh, like for some sort of weird publicity. Correct. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's no way to confirm or deny if any, like the dollar yeah. bill, obviously it was received. Um, and not to diminish Noreen's confirmation or anything like that. It part of me is like, are you just seeing it as his handwriting because you want it to be so? Correct. Correct. And I, I wouldn't blame her. Like, I get it. Like, no, I don't get it. I've never been through anything like that, but I could understand why mm-hmm. you'd be like, yes, that is his handwriting when it may not have been. Correct. Yeah, I agree with you. I so agree yes, with you. I want to believe, but I don't mm-hmm. know how much I believe. Right. Noreen learned that the child sex trafficking organization that took Johnny had direct connections to extreme higher ups, including the CIA, the military and politicians in Washington, D.C. Not shocking. No, no. Creepy. No, no. Not shocking in the least bit. This information was later confirmed by other victims of the same ring. Over the years, with the help of media, friends, and private investigators, Noreen was able to personally meet with these victims who actually had been in who had actually been with Johnny and knew him personally. They were able to give her updated information on his condition, but didn't know where exactly he was. Noreen learned that Johnny and another boy had eventually escaped their captors and were living in hiding, fearing for their lives. Now that I could, that I believe only because she was able to meet with these victims who were with Johnny. Right. Could they, could they have just been saying this? Sure. But I'm sure knowing Noreen after reading all of this and the badass woman that she is, mm-hmm. I'm sure she was like, okay, prove to me that what you're telling me isn't a lie. Right. So I, I, I feel like she had her feelers out there. Early one morning in 1997, not long after Noreen had made a television appearance with a special message for Johnny, she was awakened by a knock at her door. She looked through the peephole and saw two young men. She stated, who is it? A voice answered, mom, it's me, Johnny. Can I come in? She immediately opened the door and instantly knew this was the son she hadn't seen for 15 years. Um, Apparently, he had opened his shirt to prove to her and reveal a birthmark on his chest that obviously she would know. Right. Um, So that was like his proof saying, Hi, I'm not just somebody who looks like your son. I am your son. Here's proof. Wow. Yeah. Their meeting was short-lived. Johnny hadn't come home to say to stay. He came to ask his mother for help. He gave her a brief account of the last few years. The pieces of the puzzle began to come into place as Noreen finally confirmed what she'd known all along. He was very nervous during their reunion and declared he was still in great danger and needed his mom to help bring his abductors to justice so he wouldn't have to live in fear for the rest of his life. Johnny stayed with Noreen only a few hours, then left before daylight, disappearing into the into the night to leave his mother with nothing but the secret memory of his visitation. Wow. Like, that's incredible that she got to see him, but at the same time, I feel like it makes made it worse because yeah he had to yeah say well i don't even know if she got to say goodbye to him before he left but like she had to let him go again yeah noreen and johnny formally launched the johnny gosh foundation to help fund private searches for johnny and to share child safety information through their in defense of children program in june of 1984 they and other parents of high profile missing children which 
include the Walshes, the parents of Adam Walsh, who went missing after being abducted from a mall in Hollywood, Florida, which mm-hmm. you guys all know about because you heard Charlie's episode. Yes, you um, did. Yes, they helped establish that as well. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and CMEC. <laughs> Sorry, that was fast. NCMEC. <laughs> NCMEC, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Got it. Okay. That same year, the Goshes also authored and lobbied for the Johnny Gosh bill in Iowa, which mandated immediate police response and involvement when a child was reported missing. Later adopted by eight additional states, it was signed into Iowa law on July 1st, 1984. This newly implemented Johnny Gosh law would be put to the test just 43 days later when a other, another young boy was abducted. Mm. On the morning of August 12th, 1984, 13-year-old Eugene Martin left his house in a Southside Des Moines neighborhood around 5 a.m. to deliver Sunday editions of the Des Moines Register. Sounds familiar? It should. (laughs) He arrived at his pickup corner around 5.15 a.m., collected his bundles from the delivery van driver, and sat down to start folding them. According to register stories, several passing witnesses reported seeing Eugene talking to a man in what looked to be a friendly conversation as he filled his delivery bag. Mm -hmm. 45 minutes later, a woman called Eugene's route manager saying she hadn't received her paper yet. Thinking Eugene had overslept, the route manager went to the corner and was surprised to find Eugene's delivery bag with 10 rolled newspapers inside, but no Eugene. Mm -hmm which again is very similar to what had happened to Johnny just two years earlier. Yeah. After delivering the papers himself, the manager went to the Martin house to speak with Eugene's father, Don. When Don realized Eugene hadn't returned home, he started searching the neighborhood, but found no sign of his son. He called the police around 8:40 AM learning from the gosh case in West Des Moines, a different jurisdiction the Des Moines Police Department responded immediately by sending out all points bulletins, APB, <laughs> setting up roadblocks, canvassing neighborhoods within the hour and involving the FBI by that afternoon. So they weren't fucking around yeah. when it came to Eugene. Um, and right. And thankfully, they didn't. It just sucks that it took Johnny disappearing for this to happen as quickly as it did. Yeah. And I mean, it's very similar to the conversation we had after the Adam episode. Like Mm -hmm. nobody ever wants to say that, you know, it should have happened, Mm -hmm. (laughs) obviously, Mm -hmm. because it never should have happened in the first place. But if some good can come of it, if there's some positive that could come of any of these situations, you know, this would this would be it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Officer James Rowley, who is now retired, was one of the first DMPD officers on the scene. He recalls how a lot of shoe leather went into the canvases. And that was his quote. That's cute. It is cute. That's such like an old timey cop. Yeah. And I bet you he's like the coolest cop ever. (laughs) Probably. Because his then lieutenant didn't want another West Des Moines deal with a botched investigation. Mm. So where was James Rowley <laughs> when Johnny went missing? Because we yeah. needed him on his side. Yeah. During yeah. the height of the Martin investigation, James Rowley traveled as far as Mexico and Canada to follow up on tips and estimated he chased down somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 leads. 
but none were credible. Hmm. There's never been a solid lead, a bone found, a fragment found, Riley told A&E True Crime. We didn't turn up any evidence. That's sad. That is incredibly (laughs) sad. Nothing. Like, out of all those leads, absolutely nothing. Yeah. Like Johnny's case, Eugene's went cold. Authorities were never able to formally connect the two cases, which I find interesting. Yeah. FYI. Because they're literally the same story. Yeah, like side by side, identical. Correct. Mm Mm-hmm. So again, it's another one of the, like, in my head, I know it's a conspiracy theory. All I keep thinking is, hmm, it really did go all the way to the top, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, conspiracy theory in my own head. I'm sure people are thinking <laughs> the same thing, but. I was going to say, I don't think you're the only one on that one. Like, because no. I'm normally one of those people who I'm always like, I, I'm not a big believer in a lot of conspiracy theories, hmm. but I, I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Eugene's mother said at the time that she believed that something similar to what happened to Johnny also happened to her son. The only way Eugene would have been abducted was if someone approached him in a vehicle asking for directions while he was on his route. He wouldn't have willingly gone far off with a stranger. The lives of the Martin family would never be the same. Eugene's parents, Donald and Sue Martin, had always been extremely active and on the go, but after their son was snatched away from them, they stayed home waiting by the phone in case their son called or a tip came in. Mm. Now this next little um, paragraph or no, it's like two sentences that I'm going to read broke my fucking heart. Oh, lovely. And I'm going to warn you because it is, it's very sad. It's, it's just, it's very sad. Okay. With their son's 14th birthday quickly approaching, the Martins froze his birthday cake and set his gifts aside in anticipation of his return. But as of 2021, Eugene has never been found, and there are a few clues as to what happened to him. (laughs) Yeah. Despite the police's quick action, the Martins, too, had serious complaints about the way their son's case was handled. The police lacked the proper training for dealing with a child abduction, the couple, the couple alleged, which obviously, because <laughs> they just obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Don stated that they know how to handle an armed robbery or a fight, but when it comes to missing children, they don't know. The answers that would break this case wide open are laying on some police officer's desk. They are not using the information. And that was a quote from straight from Don. Wow. Weeks after Eugene's disappearance, a local Des Moines grocery store started printing reward info with Eugene and Johnny's missing pictures on their paper bags. Soon after a Des Moines milk company, Anderson Erickson Dairy, started printing pictures and short bios of both Eugene and Johnny on the sides of their half gallon milk cartons after an employee and friend of the Martin family suggested it. The following week, another Des Moines dairy company followed suit. From there, the campaign spread to dairy companies in Illinois and California. And by January of 1985, the National Child Safety Council began a a nationwide missing children milk carton program. This featured hundreds of missing children's pictures on milk cartons. By the late 80s, though, the milk carton program was phased out when paper cartons were replaced by plastic jugs. And after it proved only marginally successful in helping locate missing children because of the slow photo distribution. Um, I guess I can understand that, right? Because by the time the information gets to the dairy 
mm-hmm. like manufacturer or whatever, and it gets out to the public, how outdated is that information? Correct. Right? Like Correct. that could could be anywhere at that point. They might not be local anymore. Like so I get that. I get Cor- that. Correct. Correct. And I, I also read somewhere um, and they brought up a good point that it also didn't seem to work the way that they wanted to, because back in the eighties, you know, they would, kids would actually sit at the kitchen table and read like the cereal boxes because it had like games and stuff on the back and, you know, the milk would be sitting right next to it. That milk carton would be sitting right next to it. So more often than not, it was children looking at these pictures, not adults. So I, yeah, I, they, exactly. I, I could agree with that theory. I could see how that would uh, put a stop to it yeah. or not work. Correctly. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did, however, serve as an important uh, precursor to the more effective Amber Alert system, which helps law enforcement agencies and media outlets distribute news of child abductions almost immediately. So, like we mentioned with the animal story, it's a shame that shit like this has to happen for things yeah. to be done correctly or um, rules and regulations have to be put into effect for things to happen in a timely manner. Correct. Correct. And I will say, like, I think the thing that's may have also been a success of the milk carton campaign. And I mean, really any of this stuff is maybe just the awareness that this shit does happen mm-hmm. and the likelihood that the kids are runaways is very unlikely mm-hmm. and even if they are they're still missing kids correct <laughs> you know and I, I just I think it's more giving that awareness of like this is real life this shit mm-hmm. happens everywhere so keep your eyes peeled you know yep. like I know that there's a lot of debate about like the whole stranger danger thing and like we made people scared to do things, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't think that there's anything wrong with be, like having your head on a swivel and being aware of your surroundings and knowing that danger like exists. Correct. Nobody is saying that like you have to become a recluse and not leave your house, but to like know that shit is real, <laughs> to have that like heightened sense of awareness, I don't think is a bad thing. Me neither. I'd rather have a heightened sense of awareness than not having any awareness. Like correct. I want to tell me the truth. Yeah. Tell me if I should be scared. Correct. Because I want to make sure that I'm preparing myself for the worst in case it does happen. Right. And then it also justifies that gut feeling that you have. Like Mm -hmm. we all have those instincts that take Mm -hmm. over when you feel like you're in danger. If we pretend that those things don't exist, you're not going to trust that instinct. And you're going to help a person with their arm in a sling, put their boat on the back of their Volkswagen Beetle and then never be seen again. You know what I'm saying? It's like pretending those things don't exist. Don't make them not exist. It just makes you more susceptible to danger happening. And that, again, that's my own opinion, but I, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to be aware that these things exist. Same, same. I absolutely agree. Um, Not that I'm blaming the victim's oh no 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 (laughs) that was not a victim blamey statement it was just a there's nothing wrong with being aware correct correct uh both cases are still technically open in the west des moines and des moines police departments and even though neither boy has been legally declared dead both are presumed dead by authorities martin's parents died nearly two decades ago believing their son likely died shortly after his disappearance 
but Noreen Gosh still holds on to hope that she'll one day have the answer- answers about her son's fate. While most wow. people outside of Iowa have probably never heard of these two missing kids from a small Midwestern city, they have played critical roles in shaping missing, missing children investigations today. I, I would just like to point out again that Noreen Gosh is a badass woman. She never stopped pushing to find her son. She's still not stopping. She still wants answers. I can't even tell you all the amazing things that she has done that I read about um, because we'd be here for a very long time. (laughs) So I definitely suggest um, looking into this yourself just so you could see what what she had gone through, the things that she had done. it's just, I, I can't imagine for everything that has happened to her family with Johnny going missing, she still is like, something needs to be done. Like she's not, right. she's not taking a back seat at all. Yeah. No, that's incredibly commendable. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Well, dang. It's a sad one. It is. <clears throat> it is. I concur with that. And I think it's also, um, kind of I mean you know you kind of ended the story with the statement that like even if people haven't heard of the stories like knowing that they're not unheard of stories anymore like their their names are very much synonymous with these like wonderful movements happening Mm -hmm. I think is you know a a great way to keep their memories alive in some way absolutely absolutely I agree but I 120 percent agree well thanks Joves you're welcome great job Thank you. So uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of Bed Crime Stories. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening for all this time. We appreciate it. (laughs) Um, You can find us on social media at Instagram um, is at Bed Crime Stories. You can shoot us an email if you have any story suggestions or just want to stop by and say hi. And our email address is bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. Wherever you are listening to the podcast, make sure you rate, review, like, subscribe, tell a friend, all of that stuff. Pass it along. Be kind to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, always be kind. Always, always, always. Always, always. Costs nothing. And uh, yeah, I think that's all. So everybody have a great evening. Everybody or day, morning, whenever you're listening <laughs> to us, have a great one of those. Yes. Um, and we'll talk to you all next week. But until then, sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. Uh, our theme song is the song industrial music box by kevin mcleod at incompetech.com licensed under creative commons by attribution 3.0 creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0